of normality to our lives. But I have a greater purpose. This is a time when we need to be encouraged to flee to Jesus in faith. He is our hope. He is our only source of blessings. You'll find the sermon text printed in your bulletin on pages 5 and 6. Before we read, please join me in prayer. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this, your word, that by your all-sufficient grace, it might nourish our souls today and establish us more firmly in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Now God's word for God's people, Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 1 through 13. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I, commanded, I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God on the altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that the, that, that day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, and these shall stand on evil for the curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heaven. It revives the soul. And may God's powerful word revive our souls today. Today's passage is about God renewing his covenant with the whole nation of Israel as they would be entering the promised land to take possession of it. It's also about the people renewing their commitment to the Lord, that covenant commitment that promises we will be your people, O God, and we will keep your covenant. The actual ceremony that Moses gives instructions about here in Deuteronomy 27 is actually found in Joshua chapter 8. But there's one problem with this ceremony. Israel had been already unfaithful and would continue to be unfaithful to God in the future. And how could covenant breakers remain in covenant 
with God. This question gets to the very heart of this passage today. And here's the answer. God is gracious, and his grace is represented by the altar at Mount Ebal. The only hope of blessings, though we deserve curses, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And my hope is to remind us to cling evermore to Jesus, our hope and only source of blessings. Blessings flow from Jesus. So the outline is very simple. We'll just follow the text. We'll first look at Mount Ebal and curses. Then we'll look at the altar and God's grace. And then thirdly, we'll look at Mount Gerizim and the blessings that accompany obedience. First, Mount Ebal and curses. Renewal begins by coming under conviction of sin. Renewal begins by feeling the weight of the burden of guilt. Have you ever been given a task that is impossible? I had hand and forearm surgery about five and a half weeks ago. And two days after surgery, I went to my hand therapy session. And my hand therapist asked me to do something that was impossible. She asked me to make a fist. I could not make a fist. I could not even move one finger because of the swelling and the trauma of the surgery. All of that was expected. But she asked me to do something that was impossible for me to do. What we find in this text today is that God commands Israel to do something that was impossible for them to do. What did he exhort them to do? Verse 1, keep the whole commandment. Verse 10, obey the voice of the Lord, keeping his commandments and his statutes. Moses in his second sermon, which is found in chapters 5 through 26, preached the law to that new generation of Israelites as they were poised to take possession of the land. And what he preached was a massive list of do's and don'ts, a massive number of commandments and stipulations, not the least of which was a restatement of the Ten Commandments that was given to the people of God at Mount Sinai. And they were to keep every single one of those stipulations, something they were simply unable to do. And the context of our passage today, which is Moses' third sermon in chapters 27 through 28, is this renewal ceremony that would eventually take place at the site of Shechem. Covenant renewal is implied in this passage. Look at verse 9. This day you have become the people of the Lord. Now we know that on that particular day, either the day that Moses gave these instructions or the future day in Joshua 8, that the people were not being constituted as the people of God. They had already been constituted as the people of God, the foot of Mount Sinai at Horeb. And what this means, this day you have become the people of God, is really a statement about renewal being renewed, God recommitting 
to be our God, the people recommitting to be his people. Verse 2, along with Joshua chapter 8 and verse 30, sets the stage for the ceremony. Verse 2 says, on the day you cross over the Jordan, we shouldn't take that to mean the very day they cross over there to have this ceremony. We know that's not what happened. We look at Joshua 8, it was some days after they crossed the Jordan. It was after Jericho fell. It was after the victory at Ai. And so what that statement means is that when or after you cross over, when you actually go into the land, that's when you need to recommit yourself to be my covenant people. We also learned something else. We learned the place of this ceremony. It was to be at Shechem, as we see in Joshua 8. What's interesting about Shechem, if you turn to Genesis 12 and verse 6, you'll find that when God called Abram at that time to leave Haran and to go to the land that he would show him, Abraham is led to Shechem, right in the middle of Canaanite, of the Canaanites. And there God makes this promise of land to him. There, right in the middle of the Canaanite territories, Abraham builds an altar to God saying, this is God's land. And he has given it to his people. It is fitting that the backdrop of this this covenant renewal ceremony that we find here in Deuteronomy 27 and later in Joshua 8 is a backdrop is at Shechem where God first made his covenant promise to Abraham but one striking aspect of the ceremony depicts Israel as covenant breakers and we see this in the plastered stones on which the law was to be written and placed at the foot of Mount Ebal. In verses 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy 27, the specific instructions were given, take these large stones, plaster them presumably with whitewash made from heated crushed limestone. So plaster these stones, this white background, and then write on them in either black or red-colored letters the law of God, so that law would just pop out, be so clearly seen like, like neon. And the words of this law were to be written on them. The very words that Moses had preached in chapters 5 through 26. And the stones were set up at the base of Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal was just north of Shechem. We see this in verse 4. Now, if you would, drop down to verses 13 through 14. Their ceremony included half of the tribes standing on top of Mount Ebal with the Levitical priesthood, or at least a number of them, pronouncing the curses for breaking the covenant. And then we'll also see with Mount Gerizim, the other remaining tribes would be standing on top of Mount Gerizim with a contingent of the Levitical priesthood pronouncing the blessings. Did they do this and as an antipathy? I don't know, but what a dramatic scene. This was a geographically an amphitheater with these two masses of people on either of these mountains. And you can just imagine the echo of curses and the echo of blessings coming forth in this covenant renewal 
service. This followed common ancient treaty form, pronouncing the curses for breaking the covenant and pronouncing the blessings for keeping the covenant. Well, here's a question we need to deal with. Why were the plastered stones with the law clearly written on them placed at the foot of Mount Ebal? Moses had called the people from chapters 5 all the way through 26 to keep the covenant. In our passage today, in verses 1, 9, and 10, he calls Israel to keep the covenant, be faithful. And the history of Israel shows us they were not faithful. They were guilty of breaking the covenant time and time again. And that law written on those plastered stones served as a silent, maybe not so silent, witness to Israel's tendency and propensity to break covenant with God and suffer the consequences of disobedience. Like my inability to make a fist, you and I cannot keep the covenant perfectly in our own strength, no matter how hard we try. The law witnesses to our inability to meet God's standard, that standard of perfection that we find in Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 48. At the end of the service, we'll sing a wonderful hymn. But one of the lines in that hymn goes like this, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. These words from the hymn, come thou found of every blessing, if divorced from the context of the rich theology of grace that comes out of this wonderful hymn are not words of hope, but words of despair, not words of blessing, but words of cursing. And it describes one who has never believed in Jesus, my heart prone to wonder. And it describes one who has saving faith, like me, my heart is prone to wonder. I struggle leaving and turning from the God I love. Renewal begins with making that confession. I break the covenant. I wander from God. I leave the God I love. But is there hope? Second, the altar of grace. There is hope in God's grace represented by the altar. Renewal begins with feeling the weight of our guilt and that drives us to the cross. I found it impossible to make a fist two days after surgery, as I spoke about earlier. My hand therapist, however, did for me what I could not do for myself. She took my hands and put hers around my finger 
and she made a fist for me. Moses shows us that God does for us what is impossible for us to do for ourselves, chiefly to obey the law and to deal with our guilt. The altar was unique, verses 5 and 6. The, the blueprint given to build the altar included using only uncut stones, stones that were natural, where man had not wielded an iron tool or modified them in any form. The natural stones had not been subject to or tainted by human work at all. And this altar constructed in this way represented that it's God's work alone that deals with the problem we encounter at Mount Ebal. God remedies that pronouncement of curse, that just, deserved pronouncement of curse on us. The burnt offerings and the peace offerings to be offered on this altar point to what only God could do, provide a once-for-all sacrifice for atonement and for reconciliation. Mount Abel's pronouncements and the law's witness fall like an unbearable burden on our backs to bear. This comes out beautifully in John Bunyan's wonderful work, Pilgrim's Progress, where he describes God's remedy for poor Christian who so felt that weight of sin on his back. Let me just read a few words from Bunyan. Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall and that the wall was called salvation. Isaiah 26, 1. Up this way, therefore, did burden Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below, in the bottom, a sepulcher. And Christian found relief from that burden. That burden, as Bunyan continues to describe beautifully, falls off his back and rolls in to the sepulcher, never to come back to burden him again. It's a beautiful picture of the power of the cross that our ensemble led us in singing just a few moments ago. It's a powerful reminder of the empty tomb and the resurrection that we'll be celebrating in a couple of weeks. Jesus conquering sin, death, and Satan. Jesus fully deals with our sin in such a way that it no longer has an effect in our relationship with God. You see, it was necessary that the altar be built at Mount Ebal in order that God's people might find rest and hope in his work of salvation through Christ Jesus. God commanded Israel to do something they could not do, keep the whole law. And the altar provided a way for God's people who are guilty covenant breakers to be forgiven, to be restored, and to be accepted, get this, accepted as covenant keepers in Christ Jesus. What grace God bestows on his people. The altar points to Jesus' cross. Jesus kept the covenant stipulations fully. The whole law 
if Jesus stood before Mount, Mount Evil, and every single curse that was read, Jesus said, doesn't apply to me. <laughs> He's the only perfect one. He also voluntarily gave up his life to atone for the sin of covenant breakers, like the Israelites and you and me. He voluntarily bore the curse that we rightly deserve for covenant breaking. He merited none of those curses, but he took every single curse that we rightly deserve and suffered it in our place. Jesus, as the once for all sacrifice, accomplished atonement and, in particular, expiation and propitiation for sinners like you and me. Expiation in that he took our sin and paid for it in full and the guilt is removed. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And propitiation, which refers to expiation, but also more in that Jesus took the wrath of God, Jesus took the curse upon himself and bore it in our place and we're free from it forever. You see, what Jesus did was penal. It was substitutionary. He suffered the penalty we deserve. Another way to say it is simply this. He took our curse. You see, grace is not cheap. God does not say, oh, I'll just simply grade on a curve. He does not say, oh, I'll just forget about your sin. No big deal. He doesn't say, okay, you messed up, but I'll give you a pass on judgment. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. He requires payment. And he requires that the curse and his wrath be executed in full. Jeff read from Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Romans 5.9 Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And we think of one of the blessings of the atonement of Christ is reconciliation Sinners being reconciled to God. And listen to this from Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The altar represented God's grace in Christ Jesus, grace that is truly greater than all our sin, as we sang at the beginning of the service. The words of come thou found of every blessing that we referred to earlier, just that one phrase, is actually preceded and proceeded by words of beautiful grace. Let me just read the whole stanza. O oh, grace, 
how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter bind my wondering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Do you pick out all that God does just in that one stanza? We were able to sing and admit our tendency to break the covenant only because our confession is bracketed by grace. That grace flows unfettered to weak and burdened sinners. And grace that is solely a work of God. Grace that is represented in uncut stones. Renewal begins with feeling the weight of our guilt. And this drives us to the cross where we are, where grace is poured over us and is poured over us that we might walk in obedience and enjoy the blessings of covenant keeping in Christ Jesus. Renewal is for God's people enjoying the blessings, blessings that accompany obedience. And this is what we learn at Mount Gerizim, the third point, and blessing. Mount Gerizim was just south of, of Shechem. In Deuteronomy 28, 1, verses 1 and 2, we read this. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, this could be understood as a conditional type of a salvation. If we do our part, then God will do his part. If we obey, he will save. If we obey, he will bless. That's not how God works. And that's not what this scripture says to begin with. Dr. John Frame helps us understand what this passage means. He says this, the demand of obedience, says Frame, in both covenants, old and new, which are fundamentally the same, is not the demand that people earn their salvation through meritorious works. Rather, it calls upon the believer to obey God by God's grace as they appropriate response to redemption. Obedience is a response to what God has done. And Paul teaches that we're not saved by our good works, by our obedience, but we are saved for good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them we are saved for good works in philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 paul calls us to strive to obey not to be saved but because we're saved he reminds us that our ability to obey is not our own it's it's by god's powerful work philippians 2 12 and 13 therefore my Beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Strive to be sanctified with fear and trembling, for it is God's God who works in you, 
both to will and to work his good pleasure. Ultimately, our obedience is empowered by God. Now let's bring all of these aspects together. Mount Ebal, the altar, Mount Gerizim. The law witnesses to the pronouncements made on Mount Ebal. You are guilty, so guilty that there's a crushing load that comes upon us and we're unable to remove it. But the weight of that load should drive us to the altar, to the cross. And there is the altar, God's gracious way to both pardon that guilt, remove it, and to accept us as covenant keepers solely on the merits of Christ Jesus' atoning work. He bore our sin and the curse for us, and he credits us his perfect record of covenant keeping. And then there's Mount Gerizim, this new reality for God's renewed people, the, the benefits of Christ's redeeming work is the ability that we have to, to respond to God's gracious work through faith in Christ and enjoy to walk in the blessings of covenant keeping. Over the years, I've officiated many marriage or a number of marriage recommitment services. The husband and the wife, after many years of marriage, they want to, to recommit to their marriage vows. It's always a special time. They basically say to one another, I'm still committed to you. <laughs> and I'm still committed to keeping my covenant vows. This text today calls us to consider that this is what God does in, in renewal. He says, I'm still committed to you, even though you're so weak and frail and your hearts really are prone to wonder for me but I'm committed to you and that altar proves it the cross proves it and then we come and receive his forgiveness and we're reminded of being free from the curse we're reminded of God empowering us through the grace of Jesus Christ to walk in obedience and this new reality is now walking in obedience and enjoying the blessings that flow from Christ. We sing at Christmas this Isaac Watts carol. I was almost tempted to sing it this morning, but I'll just simply read one part of it. It's a good reminder of the lessons about renewal. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Renewal is being crushed by the burden of guilt. Renewal is being so crushed that it drives us to Jesus and we flee to him and find freedom and forgiveness. And in renewal, we find the ability to respond to that amazing redemptive work of Christ given to us by grace and through faith by walking in obedience and enjoying the blessings. You see, Jesus really does come that his blessings would flow wherever the curse is found.
our only hope of blessings, though we deserve curses, is the cross of Christ. And let us look to Jesus in faith and by his grace walk in the blessings that accompany covenant keeping. Let us pray. Father, we do give you thanks for your powerful grace that is ever flowing and powerfully working. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would so work that grace if it means one who has never trusted you, that you would be so pleased to draw them to yourself in saving grace, saving faith. But it may also mean and means for so many of us a part of this service, oh Father, that you would be pleased to pour out your grace to renew us, that we would ever flee to Jesus and find freedom and forgiveness and power to walk in obedience and enjoy the blessings of covenant keeping through Jesus Christ. So Father, we ask you to work. It's your work. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.